Welcome to Sacklanta, where the players play and we sack them quarterbacks like every day. Big Beats, Hit Street, and see Calais Roman, and the parties won't stop till 8 in the morning. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Serious Black, and of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank you for making Locked On Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, it is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. So guys, later on today's episode, we will be talking about what the Falcons draft plans are now in light of signing Calais Campbell. And I'll break, I'll go through my thought process in terms of who's the most likely picks at eight. Then we'll also talk a little bit about some questionable comments from Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner at the players, uh, the owners meeting uh, in regards to Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson. But we're going to start things off with the news, the great news that we all woke up to on Wednesday morning, hearing that Calais Campbell, formerly of the Baltimore Ravens, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Arizona Cardinals, signed a one-year deal with the Atlanta Falcons earlier this week on the podcast. I, someone sent in the email talking about, oh, we're going to sign Calais Campbell. And I was like, okay, let's pump the brakes on that. You know, he's still got a whirlwind tour to go through, visit the Jet, to visit the Bills, and then he'll make a choice down the road on where he wants to go. And maybe Atlanta uh, is still at the top of his list, but wrong, wrong, guys. He chose Atlanta. He was like, forget those other teams. I'm going in on all Atlanta in part due to Arthur Blank making a 40-minute phone call to convince him to sign. Thanks to his off-field work, he was the Walter Payton Man of the Year award winner three years ago. And obviously, here on Lockdown Falcons, you know, as good as Calais is off the field, we are focused on his on-field demeanor and behavior. And the on-field demeanor and behavior is very good, ladies and gentlemen. And while certainly Calais there was a time where he was arguably one of the most dominant defensive players in the entire NFL, especially in his Saxonville days uh, a couple of years ago. And he's not that same player, but he's still a very good player because when you're six foot eight, 300 plus pounds with 36 inch arms, there are very few human beings on this planet that we call earth that match that type of size and frame and that size and frame, ladies and gentlemen is aging gracefully, right? He's not as explosive as he used to be, but he's still got plenty of juice and he's still one of the strongest men in the national football league. And the thing I love about Calais Campbell's fit here in Atlanta is he has the potential to line up anywhere along the offensive, uh, the defensive line. I'm sorry. Now, my suspicion is we're going to see him play a lot more D-end here in Atlanta, similar to what he did in Jacksonville, 
as opposed to what he did in Baltimore, where he was more of a sort of traditional 3-4 defensive end, lining up at that 4-I, 5 technique. For those of you that don't know, a 4-I is when you line up over the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. The 5 technique is the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle, and that's the traditional 3-4 defensive end look. But I think we'll see plenty of that because the Falcons are going to certainly use their hybrid fronts, mixing and matching 3-4 and 4-3 looks throughout the season under Ryan Nielsen. But when they go to the 4-3, I think we'll see plenty of Calais Campbell, especially on base downs against the run playing defensive end. And then on those passing situations, he will have that ability that he has shown throughout his entire career, kicking inside and rushing the quarterback and just tossing guards, swimming past guards, just bullying guards, all those sorts of things. And I think Calais Campbell is going to be very valuable for the Atlanta Falcons. And I think the thing that makes him attractive is that versatility that basically you can plug and play him wherever you want, mix and match, whoever you want to put on the line, you'll find a place for Calais Campbell on that line and still be a very productive three down player. I think we'll see a lot of stunts. That's one of the changes I'm expecting under defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen versus old defensive coordinator Dean Pease, who wasn't necessarily a huge fan of that. That was something that the Saints ran a ton of. And when you have Calais Campbell, guys, as that crash defender, just plowing a guard and then you loop Caden Ellis or you loop Arnold Ketty or somebody, Grady Jarrett uh, around him, ooh, it's, it's going to be beautiful. And so, you know, I think we'll see Calais Campbell – play more against the run here in Atlanta than he did in Baltimore. The last three years combined, about 70% of his snaps were pass passing downs, either rushing the quarterback or dropping into coverage. I think that number will probably be closer to what was the norm in Atlanta, as well as New Orleans, which is about, you know, 55 to 60% of his snaps being pass runs. So tweaking up, dialing up more rundowns, more base defense for Calais Campbell, as opposed to purely being that primary pass rush player and I think that works for him so I'm not expecting him to have five and a half sacks again uh, this year in Atlanta like he had last year in Baltimore because he was a guy the last couple of years in Baltimore consistently getting 25 to 30 pass rushing snaps every single week and I think you'll probably see that closer to maybe 15 to 25 I think he's going to be more the fourth or fifth guy in the Falcons pass rush rotation behind Grady Jarrett behind Arnold Lebichetti behind David Onyemata and possibly a rookie you know also in that mix we'll talk about that a little bit later so I think you know I'm projecting Calais Campbell to have maybe three to five sacks this year, um, you know, as part of this rotation. And that, that does not seem like a lot, but, you know, four, let's say he has four sacks this year, right? Which, again, it doesn't seem like a huge number uh, for a lot of folks. But to Falcon fans, you know, you guys know that that number is a significant number because I'm basically saying the fourth or fifth guy in the Falcons rotation has four sacks, right? The last couple of years, the f- guy who gets four sacks is guaranteed to be number two on this team in terms of sack production and now we're going to have four or five guys that are more productive than that and again you do the math right from previous years where the Falcons would have like two guys that would hit that four plus sack total. Right. And, you know, now I think we're going to potentially have like seven of those guys that are potentially going to hit that. You got Grady Jarrett, you got David on you got uh Calais Campbell, Arnold Abiketti, Lorenzo Carter, Caden Ellis, and still a potential rookie to come. And so let's imagine and say, you know, you get four to five sacks on average from those guys. You know, this guy gets three, this guy gets six, this guy gets eight, whatever it averages out to be like four to five sacks right if seven of those guys hit that number you're talking about 30 to 35 sacks from those seven players alone not to mention another half dozen guys that get a sack here two sacks here taekwon graham 
uh, Troy Anderson, you know, you blitz Mike Hughes or D. Alford from the slot and get a sack here or there. And suddenly, guys, you're talking about a Falcons defense that gets 40 plus sacks based off of what they have done so far and with a little bit more help in the draft. And again, you know, league average the last couple of years has been about 38 to 40 sacks. So that doesn't seem like a significant number to most of the teams in the NFL, but here in Atlanta, that's a huge number. 40 sacks. The Falcons, it's been almost 20 years since the Falcons had a 40 sack season. 2004, ladies and gentlemen, was the last time an Atlanta Falcons defense generated 40 or more sacks in a season. And I feel like the Falcons are on the board verge of, of having that this year, just need one or more pieces added in the draft and we'll talk about whether or not the Falcons will add that piece as we continue today's episode but this signing I think people should be dancing in the streets you know pop your ludicrous pop your Jermaine Dupree whatever you need to play right if you want to go Migos whatever you want to play whatever is up whatever floats your boat it's going to be sack Lana this year in Atlanta for the first time in 20 years and again 42 sacks may not seem like a, a big number to most teams in the league but that is an incredible number for the Atlanta Falcons so I am sitting here smiling today thinking about all the things that Calais Campbell and the rest of this group are going to do to opposing quarterbacks I'm looking at you Derek Carr all right you know this upcoming season so we will look forward to that but as we continue today's locked on falcons episode i think a lot of people are sort of assuming that signing calais campbell and all the work that the falcons have done to bolster this pass rush and this defensive line clears the runway for them to take a cornerback at the top of round one but i say in the words of my good friend lee corso not so fast my friends Let's talk about all the Falcons draft options at eight and whether or not they're still going to take a pass rusher at the top of this 2023 draft class. And we'll get into that as we continue today's episode. NCAA tournament, guys, is almost done, right? Final four, and then the, the, the championship game is right around the corner. And, of course, this is the best time to get in on the action at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. All you got to do is head on over to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up and claim your no-sweat first bet. And then you can wager from anything from the money line to the points scored to threes drained whatever you want who's going to win it all it's all on the app that's safe secure and super easy to use so don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you join fanduel today head to fanduel.com slash locked on to sign up make every moment more with fanduel so let's talk about what the Falcons draft plans are now as we add another piece to the puzzle on their defensive side of the ball. I still think overwhelmingly the, the odds are that the Falcons go, you know, best defensive player available, so to speak, at the top of the 2023 draft with the eighth overall selection. As far as who the Falcons take, again, don't really know, but what we do on the podcast is we connect the dots. We're like, okay, this makes sense. This makes sense. So let's connect some dots today. So you know, if the Falcons are picking at eight, let's do some math. Um, you know, if four quarterbacks go in the top seven, that's going to leave three non-quarterbacks to go in the top seven. And the consensus top four uh, defensive non-quarterbacks are Will Anderson, the edge rusher from Alabama, Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia, Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback from Oregon, and Tyree Wilson, the defensive end from Texas Tech. And so based off of that math, one of those guys is guaranteed to be on the board on the clock when the Falcons get on the clock based off of that. 
I think of that group, Will Anderson is the least likely to still be available. That would then be followed by Jalen Carter. We'll see if he drops, right? I don't personally expect him to, but we'll see. It's certainly plausible that he could drop due to some of the off-field concerns uh, that people have been expressing over the last uh, couple of months in regards to Jalen Carter. And then, you know, that leaves Christian Gonzalez and I think Tyree Wilson, one of these two as the best bet uh, to me would be the betting favorite sitting here as I'm telling you this on March 29th, uh, the betting favorite to be the Falcons. And again, you can flip a coin on which one is more likely to go. My personal opinion, I think it's going to be Christian Gonzalez is going to be less likely to be there at eight, uh, but we'll sort of have to see. And so that's why today, again, my betting favorite, I'd give a slight edge to Tyree Wilson, the pass rusher from Texas Tech. We have discussed him previously on the podcast we did a mock draft monday i think two three weeks ago on tyree wilson and how he makes a ton of sense for the atlanta falcons and frankly i think you envision his role in atlanta basically the same way that i'm talking about how the falcons are going to utilize calais campbell a player that can line up in a variety of different technique techniques and spots on your defensive line while he's not six eight three hundred pounds like calais campbell he is six six 270 plus pounds with 36 inch arms so he's super long super powerful just needs a lot of technical refinement, but I think he's a project that I'm sure Ryan Nielsen, the Falcons new defensive coordinator, who had a lot of success improving and developing defensive linemen, not only at NC state, but also new Orleans. He's a guy that Nielsen would love to get his hands on to develop him. And again, I don't think there's going to be a better mentor for him than Calais Campbell alongside Grady Jarrett, David on and the like. So, I think everybody who's sitting here going, Oh, the Falcons are, are done addressing their pass rush. Calais Campbell's going to be 37 when the season starts, guys. He's on a one-year deal. This is a stopgap signing. It's a great stopgap signing. As good a stopgap signing as the Falcons have ever had, probably in their history, but it's a stopgap signing. And so if the goal is to, you know, get to 40 plus sacks this year and to sustain that in the future, you still have to invest significant resources in that pass rush. And so to me, the Calais Campbell's signing, while it does a lot for the Falcons on the field, has, in my opinion, no effect on the Falcons draft plans or should have no effect on the Falcons draft plans. If you were all in on taking a pass rusher at the top of the draft, that has not changed. That needle has not moved in any slight uh, direction now with the Calais Campbell. And I think Wilson certainly is the, the type of potential Right. That if you want to bet, you know, make a big bet on a pass rusher, I think Wilson makes a ton of sense. Uh, but I'm sure some of you guys are sitting there going like, well, Aaron, OK, you know, what happens if all four of the quarterbacks don't go in the top seven? You know, let's say three of those guys go. And I've seen some recent reports that suggest that only maybe two of those guys will go because the Indianapolis Colts might not take a quarterback at four because they're looking at Lamar Jackson. And, and while I won't sit here on today and tell you that won't happen, I'll believe it when I see it. I really think the media really needs someone to go and get Lamar Jackson. And so any possible outcome, any possibility of somebody going and getting Lamar Jackson, they have overhyped it a little bit, right? Because they just don't want to face the reality that he's probably going to be stuck playing in Baltimore for another year, but we'll see how that all plays out. But let's say three quarterbacks, I'm not going to go down to two, let's say three quarterbacks go in the top seven, which would leave Anderson, Carter, Gonzalez, and Wilson 
all to come off the board in the top seven. And, you know, I don't think this is a bad scenario for the Falcons. Maybe not the ideal scenario that they're looking for, but this is the trade back scenario that we just discussed on yesterday's episode at the end of yesterday's episode about the possibility of a trade back scenario where only three quarterbacks go and somebody else is going to come up for a quarterback. Maybe that's Tennessee. Maybe that's Washington. Maybe that's Seattle. I'm sure Tampa Bay would love to do it, but we know the Falcons ain't going to make that happen. Um, well, maybe we'll see. Let's we'll see. <laughs> you know, if you can fleece a, a future first round pick from the Bucks and, and and give them Will Levis, I don't know if that's a bad trade for the Atlanta Falcons. But you know, we'll we'll see how that goes. But let's say that trade doesn't materialize, right? Then what do the Falcons do? Well, I think, in my opinion, when you look at the next potential defensive players available. You have Devon Witherspoon, the corner out of Illinois. You have Lucas Van Ness, the edge rusher from Iowa. You have Nolan Smith, the edge rusher from Georgia. Those guys are 9, 10, and 11 on Dane Brugler of the Athletics updated top 100 board. So presumably those would be the next best options for you. But frankly, I don't see any of those guys as viable options for the Atlanta Falcons. Again, I could be very wrong on this, guys. But and this is my opinion, right? I don't see it with those guys, right? You know, I've watched more of Devon Witherspoon. He was a player that back in February when I was shooting my shot on who the Falcons pick would be, it would be Devon Witherspoon. But I've been watching more and more film of him over the last week, and I just don't see a top 10 corner. We've talked about that corners get drafted based off a of height, weight, speed, and Witherspoon does not have that. And when you look at the one player that was kind of the exception to that, that was Denzel Ward a couple of years ago as a top 10 pick. And I don't see Denzel Ward when I watch Devon Witherspoon play. And we've talked about Lucas Van Ness uh, on a previous mock draft Monday. And I basically said on that episode that to me, he's not a better overall prospect than Jermaine Johnson or George Karlaftis were a year ago. And Johnson went with 26 to the Jets. Karlaftis went 31 to the Chiefs and so I can't see a world where a team like the Falcons are taking that player in the top 10 and then Nolan Smith the Georgia pass rusher is similar to my boat good player explosive athlete all that stuff but I've never watched Nolan Smith over the last two years and thought yep this guy's a future top 10 pick this guy's a bona fide first round pick and you know I think his athleticism is certainly high enough that some team in the middle or the later part of round one be, would be willing to make a bet on him but I don't see the Atlanta Falcons being that team making that bet in the top 10. So if those guys aren't on the table, who is right? No trade. None of these guys who are the Falcons going to take at eight. I think in that situation, Miles Murphy, we circle back to the player that we did our first mock draft Monday on. That's kind of been the forgotten man. The Clemson defensive end, I think is probably your best bet for the Falcons pick at eight. If those other players are off the board and, and some of these other players are not in the cards, and then, yes, guys, you know, we're going to talk about the possibility that the other alternative option would be Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texan. Uh, Dane Brugler has Bijan seventh on his updated top 100 board. I've heard ESPN's Todd McShay, NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah over the last couple of weeks that they've said that they've talked to multiple teams and every single team that they've talked to has had Bijan Robinson top five or top seven on their draft boards and if the falcons are truly a best player available draft pick you gotta think in that scenario in this scenario that we're outlining b john robinson becomes a very plausible option for the falcons to take at the eighth overall selection now again i am not saying this is your plan a this is basically their plan e that basically you have to have you know Anderson, Carter, uh, Gonzalez, Wilson, and in, 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 in a no trade back 
all not materialize. And then they would go potentially to B. John Robinson in that situation. And I would sit here and tell you again on March 29th, there's probably like a 10% chance that all of that happens in order for the Falcons to get to their plan E, plan F, whatever you want to say. So um, that's kind of where I am right now. Again, we'll see what happens over the next four weeks. And of course, all these things are subject to change, especially with Wilson, Weatherspoon, and Murphy. They all have personal private workouts, personal pro days, because they weren't able to work out earlier due to injuries and whatnot. Murphy's, I believe, is next week on the 4th. Um, Witherspoon's is the 5th, the next day. And Wilson's is sort of mid-April has been termed that so a week from today i might have to revise some of these statements that's you know that's the nature of the beast i don't profess myself an expert i'm just a person that has a microphone right and so if if devon weatherspoon runs in the low four threes or clocks a four three eight or something like that you know i might have to revise what i said about him because you know that's what denzel wore i think he had a four three two at his pro day but I, when i watch the film i think witherspoon is more like a four four eight four, five, two, that type of, of speed. Uh, and so I, I don't see him, you know, being the exception to the rule like Denzel Ward was uh, five years ago at the top of the draft. And so I do expect Murphy to test really well. And so maybe all of a sudden people will be like, oh yeah, why did we knock Miles Murphy down our, our draft board when we were projecting him in the top 10 to 12 picks back in January? You know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So we'll see how that all plays out again a week from now. We'll have a lot more clarity on some of those things, but we talked a little bit earlier, the last point I'll make, you know, about Wilson uh, being mentored by Calais Campbell. That would be an ideal uh, mentor for him. And, you know, you can't help but think, you know, if you're maybe a little bit concerned about a certain Georgia pass rusher that some people have questioned his character over the last couple of months, you know, you feel pretty good about him staying on the straight and narrow. If he was to join the locker room that featured Calais Campbell, David Anyamata, Grady Jarrett, and have that veteran leadership to sort of keep him, contained if that's an issue that that's something that you're particularly worried about you know that's something that i'm just thinking about i don't know if you guys are thinking about that but you didn't hear that from me so we will leave that aside we've been very positive about the atlanta falcons so far on today's episode and so we'll wrap things up we got to balance things out here on lockdown falcons we'll wrap things up being a little bit more critical of the owner, not necessarily the team, because Arthur Blank said some things on Tuesday night in regards to Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson at the owners meeting that got people a little hot and bothered. And, you know, I do have to call out Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, to wrap up today's episode. And we'll get into that uh, as we wrap up today's episode. But guys, you know, opening day is just around the corner. I'm sure many of you guys are sitting down to watch baseball as you're listening to this uh, on your phones or wherever else. And of course, make sure you check out the Locked on Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast on YouTube and elsewhere. And also check out Locked on Sports Atlanta. They got you covered for all the local teams. Uh, Jarvis, Tanitra, John Chuckery. They're going to break down this Calais Campbell signing on their latest episodes, as well as keep you covered for the Braves and, of course, the other Atlanta teams. And you can find them, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. So let's wrap up today's episode talking a little bit about some of the comments that Arthur Blank made. And, um, you know, this led to some controversy on Twitter where a lot of people were being very critical of the Falcons and, and the Falcons owner uh, based off of some quotes that came out. And I kind of wanted to wait to the full quotes to come out because I think context matters in this case. And oftentimes people overreact to a co- seeing a couple of sentences on Twitter. And I wanted to see the full quotes. And we got those today from the Atlanta journal constitution. And the comments that were making the rounds was basically when blank was comparing the Falcons potential pursuit of Lamar Jackson against their past pursuit of Deshaun Watson. 
And the quote that got people fired up was basically him saying it was a different time and a different player. And a lot of people, given some of the concerns surrounding Deshaun Watson's off-field behavior, uh, took that a certain way. But as far as Lamar Jackson goes in this conversation, I will continue to stress that the Falcons' pursuit of Deshaun Watson a year ago does not obligate the Atlanta Falcons to have to pursue Lamar Jackson, right? And, you know, while I will sit here and say that it was a grievous mistake, in my humble opinion, that the Falcons pursued Deshaun Watson a year ago, and I won't say that it would be a mistake for the Falcons to pursue Lamar Jackson, I do agree with Arthur Blank that it is a different time. And right, we've rehashed this a million times, but I think Arthur Blank echoed exactly the reasons why the Falcons were not in on Lamar Jackson. And I will use his quote. He says, Having compensation at 25% or so tied up in one player, and this was in reference to the amount of cap space that the Falcons had committed to Matt Ryan, we've lived through that, said Blank. It definitely can put a lot of restraint on your ability to round out your roster and to have the depth on the roster given 17 games and the nature of this game. It's still a contact sport. We need to build a team. And I hope this quote, in addition to the other one, also makes the rounds, especially for the media outside Atlanta, who seem to really have a hard time understanding why the Atlanta Falcons are not pursuing Lamar Jackson or not pursuing another quarterback. And I don't think there's really anything else to say. It's the period at the end of the sentence, right? You know, in terms of the Falcons, they are trying to build a team and not and they believe in Desmond Ritter probably a lot more than most people do, right? You know, I think a lot of people like Desmond Ritter, but a lot of people outside of Atlanta are not in love with Desmond Ritter. And the Falcons appear to be, I don't know if they would say they are in love with Desmond Ritter. Again, they're engaged to Desmond Ritter. I don't think they haven't walked down the aisle quite yet, but I think the Falcons, you know, will, will time will tell on whether or not, you know, the Falcons' commitment to Ritter uh, works out in their favor. But let's circle back to the Watson part of the conversation. And I certainly think Arthur Blank deserves a lot of criticism for how he has handled, you know, the aftermath of the Deshaun Watson situation. And Jeff Schultz, our good friend from The Athletic, put out a tweet last night when all this stuff was making the rounds on Twitter. And I will read Jeff's tweet because I agree 1,000% with it. He wrote, Blank also has never fully acknowledged the Falcons were on the verge of signing Watson until the Browns stepped up with their fully guaranteed deal. His claims that the franchise only looked at DW briefly are just silly. And what Jeff is referring to is another quote from Arthur Blank at the owners meeting, which was, I think we explored the one last year, this referring to Deshaun Watson, which is what our responsibility was, Blank said. We didn't explore it deeply, deeply. We spent some time on it from a legal standpoint, a personal standpoint, value standpoint on the player, and a variety of things. Soon after we got into exploring, we decided it wasn't a very good match. Now, I hear this and I go, really? Now, I don't know all the information, right? And my general policy on this podcast is I try not to speculate when I don't know information, but I'm going to make an exception today because I've talked to several people over the last year and they all basically say it went down basically like this, that Deshaun Watson texts Arthur Blank, come get me. And Arthur Blank goes, okay, let's go get him. And that doesn't necessarily absolve other people. Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith, Rich McKay, et cetera, for their responsibility. They all got on board. They all signed off on it. So they do share some of the blame, responsibility, and culpability for that pursuit of Deshaun Watson, especially if you're like me and think that was a poor choice on the Falcons. But it was clearly from at least from everybody who I've talked to seems to believe 
and you know uh, be of the opinion that Arthur Blank spearheaded that pursuit. And I get it from Arthur Blank's standpoint, from denying, you know, and pretending that they were not that interested in Deshaun Watson, even though there is a small hill of garbage that has been set on fire that suggests, I'm not going to say it's a mountain of evidence, but it's just a garbage hill on fire of evidence that tells you that the Atlanta Falcons were definitely in on uh, Deshaun Watson. And of course, you don't want to necessarily acknowledge that you were all in on an alleged sexual uh, predator like Deshaun Watson. That would be a very bad look for this organization because the Atlanta Falcons, like all NFL teams, are multi-million dollar corporations. And this is not a situation where bad press is good press. Bad press is bad press. And especially when you're Arthur Blank and you're known for your philanthropy and your commitment to the community, for you to basically you know, look the other way on the allegations against uh, Deshaun Watson is not a good look for you but so i get why arthur blank is lying or at least i'm accusing him of being misleading the truth is what i will say and so that to me is how this situation is i'm not going to continue to hold their feet to the fire to me they made a mistake they have yet to really own that mistake but we are moving on right we are moving forward and arthur blank is slowly chipping away at redemption Right. By giving Calais Campbell that phone call uh, in the last 24 hours to get him here, that the fact that Calais Campbell chose the Atlanta Falcons because he believed in what the Falcons are building uh, over teams like the Jets and the Bills, these so-called Super Bowl contenders and whatnot. So absolutely, you know, Arthur Blank, you know, didn't like what you did last year, but I like what you're doing this year. And so we will let 2022 lie where it was. And we're all in on 2023. So Atlanta Falcon fans, despite my criticism over the last 10 minutes or the last five minutes talking about Arthur Blank, I feel like, you know, anybody that was out here saying, oh, he should sell the team or he's a bad owner because they made a mistake. No, you redeem yourself, Arthur Blank. And you were absolutely doing that along with Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith. And they're building something here in Atlanta. And that's worth getting excited about guys and we will be back tomorrow to talk more about this beloved atlanta falcons team and what they're going to bring to the table in 2023 so continue to make us your first listen each and every day and for your second listen check out the locked on nfl scouting podcast with the draft dudes with joe marino kyle Krabs, just a couple of guys being dudes breaking down what it takes to build a successful NFL franchise team. And hopefully Kyle and Joe will give some love to what the Atlanta Falcons are building on a future episode of the Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.